0: The Koffler Gallery is proud to present the world premiere of a heart-wrenching and fascinating exhibition, The Synagogue at Babinyar, Turning the Nightmares of Evil into a Shared Dream of Good. Opening on the eve of Yom HaShoah, April 17th, and running until November, the multidisciplinary exhibition tells the bittersweet story of the Babinyar Synagogue, which stands on the grounds of the first large-scale massacre of the Holocaust in 1941. Experience the full historical, political, artistic, and spiritual context of this incredible monument for the first time. The exhibition is free of charge. To learn more, visit KofflerArts.org. Lolik Rice. 15, Brona Frosch, 19, and David Goldman, 19. That's what
1: it sounded like Tuesday at the National Holocaust Monument in Ottawa for Yom HaShoah commemorations. Local high school students read out some of the names of Jewish teenagers who had died in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, which began 80 years ago today. On April 19, 1943, a band of 700 badly outnumbered and lightly armed Jewish fighters fought back against the Nazis. They held them off for nearly a month, until eventually the Germans burned the ghetto down and liquidated it. While that uprising receives enormous attention, as it should, a Toronto game designer hopes her Holocaust game shines a light on a different and unique story of wartime defiance against the Nazis, by thousands of non-Jewish German housewives who did it just weeks before the Warsaw Uprising, and it's called the Rosenstrasse Protest. In late February 1943, the Gestapo wanted to make Berlin free of Jews, so they began arresting the last remaining Jews who hadn't yet been deported, including nearly 2,000 Jewish men who were married to non-Jewish German women. The husbands were taken to a building on Rosenstrasse. Rosenstrasse became the site of the only mass public demonstration by Germans against the Third Reich. The wives protested for a week, day and night, and it worked. The Nazis freed their husbands. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. <music> Moira Turkington designs board games and other kinds of table games that showcase the important role which women have played in historical events. But unlike Monopoly or Settlers of Catane, Rosenstrasse doesn't have a board. Instead, it's known as a LARP, a live-action role-playing game, like Dungeons & Dragons, where players take on the roles of two real-life characters from the Rosenstrasse story, one Jewish and one not. They have four hours to navigate through the years 1933 to 1943 in Hitler's Berlin. Making the Holocaust into a game is controversial for sure, but after testing Rosenstrass on experts and survivors and working together with her co-creator, who's a scholar at an American university, Turkington made sure this game teaches rather than entertains and turns players into witnesses and advocates. Moira Turkington joins me now from Toronto.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Well, it's great to meet you. Congratulations on the success of your board game. And let's talk a little bit first, historically, how you even came across this sort of little known episode in history of World War II and the Holocaust.
0: So I do a lot of work in games and the unfolding the hidden histories of women Uh, and I was doing a lot of work with games for women in World War II and uh, revealing their contributions and so I'm a little bit obsessed. Uh And, and read anything I can find about it. And I really just stumbled across it on a random website, a, a military history website that was like a hundred facts you didn't know about World War II. And uh, one of them said something like, I've never found the site again. I've gone looking for it, but I've never found it again. And it said something like the day German housewives stood up to Hitler. And I was like... Uh, what even is that? And went searching for it and could find nothing online. Uh, the only thing that I did find was um, a reference to a movie, the Rosenstrasse movie. Um, but soon thereafter, I found I found Nathan Stoltzfus's Resistance of the Heart, and uh, and and got deep into the history of it.
1: Why did you want to go and make a board game about the Holocaust? Because there are lots of researchers and maybe even Jewish survivor organizations who might have had an issue with it. So what, what did you think about when you decided I have to make a game about this?
0: It's not a board game so much as it's an analog role-playing game. And what that means is that uh, people aren't putting out a board and trying to win. There's no win objectives in this game. It grows more out of strangely, out of a history of like Dungeons and Dragons. But those games have evolved over the 40 or 50 years they've been around. And there's quite a serious niche of those games right now. Um, And those games are are pretty frequently being used to explore uh, histories, alternative futures. Uh, They give a very up-close personal view of those histories and allow players to learn history in a very different way and we knew, uh, I, I should also say, I, I should have said right up front, uh, I'm a co-designer of this game, uh, Dr. Jessica Hammer at Carnegie Mellon University is my co-designer and we thought, uh, I have, well I have no connection to the Holocaust myself, um, uh, Jessica uh, has, has extended family that was in Auschwitz and uh, we were, the game is dedicated to her grandmother Helen Hammer. And we um, wanted, we were seeing a rise of xenophobia uh, in the world, and we were getting very alarmed by what we were seeing in a lot of the right wing and populist fronts in Europe and North America, and um, and the signs of fascism or totalitarianism kind of on the rise. And it was feeling more and more urgent uh, to start to open conversations and it was becoming more and more clear to me as a, as a student of history that we had forgotten that World War II didn't happen at the beginning of the war. The World War II happened 10 or 15 years, that, that not World War II, sorry, that fascism in rising in Germany was a long, slow process of slow devolution of civil liberties. And what I realized is that 10 years before is really the story we wanted to tell. The protest, yes, but the long, slow uh, withdrawal of civil liberties in German society uh, under the Nazis. Um, And so it was worth it. Uh, it, It's a conversation that needs to be had and people need to be having it. And we have access to these kinds of games and experience in developing these kinds of serious games. And we thought we could do a good job, especially since Dr. Hammer has access to a university environment where we could do testing and make sure that uh, the games were being played safely and that they're Uh, enjoyment or engagement with the stories were being told in a way that would actually lead to a deeper understanding, a deeper contextualization, and better empathy for what was happening and a better understanding of how totalitarian regimes actually spring up.
1: Okay, you mentioned a word that I I want to dig deeper a little bit on, and that is enjoyment. Because you said there's no winners. But one of the things, one of the challenges of these games I've read is that you have to be careful about the balance, right, between having fun and a Holocaust. And then, maybe even too much emotional and breaking down and crying yeah. the other opposite, so how does your game handle that, or how did you design it in order to handle that
0: yeah so it it's uh so when we talk enjoyment in games it's a, it's a really it's a, it's, a, it's a stumbling point when we talk serious games a lot of the time, and uh, it can be a real problem. There have been games that have been done in the past that where players have inappropriate fun or they go play for trauma or they go play for misery tourism. Uh, but we wanted to do a game where you could have enjoyment in the same way you could have enjoyment while engaging with a uh, a deeply difficult movie uh, like you, you enjoyed. We enjoyed the experience of watching Schindler's List because it was informative and taught us about our world and it was moving. Uh, we controlled this game with a very mindful approach, looking at all the literature of, histori- of of games that have tried to do Holocaust education in the past. And we wanted to make sure clearly that people weren't looking for inappropriate fun and that people weren't. Uh, we have a, a concept in games development called reactance, which is I played this game and I just I walked away feeling like why didn't people just up and leave Germany? Like it it would have been so easy that can happen in the course of a game. And so that was something we were really carefully crafting to make sure that we didn't happen and that we tested against once we had it done.
1: Okay. Lastly, what do you hope your game does in the um, universe of, as we were discussing earlier at the outset, the, the, the current situation for the rise of anti-Semitism, Holocaust denial. Where does your game fit in and what do you hope it does?
0: What the game does is it's a very unique kind of experience that allows a very deep immersion into the information. And right now, we've as part of our campaign to raise the money to get it printed, we also raised a lot of donation copies for Holocaust education centers with some of our partners. We've given a presentation at the... Um, US Holocaust Museum uh, and what my my hope is is that the game will will be used for people who just want to learn the history casually but also used as part of education programs to teach more deeply about the Holocaust especially for people who are going to be educators themselves um, and my hope is that like I've already seen some of my hopes have already been realized like we've had people come to the table who did not, not we're not not Holocaust deniers, but had no knowledge of it, no knowledge that it existed. So my goal is, in its little way, I mean, it's a very very small corner of the world for analog role-playing, but my hope is that it, in its own way, does its work for never again, right? That if I wait until my people are taken, uh, everybody else will be gone. Uh, And uh, help people practice the act of standing up and speaking out uh, because it's so critically important and it's never been in my lifetime. It has never been more important than now uh, because we're seeing, we're seeing never again now. Right. And, uh, and uh, so it, it felt like, a, it felt like timely work for the world. And I'm hoping that it bears fruit for, for people.
1: Now we need to know, because I know that lots of people play online video games, yeah. role playing game, uh, first person shooters or whatever they're called, then online games. And You chose to make it an analog game. What were the risks of making a game like this for video?
0: We actually do have an interest in making, and we've been talking about the potentiality of taking the game and making it into either a museum experience or into a video game. And so all those things are kind of in the background in the works. And if anybody on your call is interested in, (laughs) in reaching out, they can happily reach out to me. I think it would be. I think it would make a great game, actually, a great, uh, especially a, a mobile game or uh, a game. There's a there's a game recently done called uh, Bury Me My Love, which is a, a game about a refugee experience uh, where you text back and forth to someone who's on the road uh, going to freedom. I think those kind of games have a beautiful emotional impact, and I and I think they reach people at a at a bigger and broader level, which I would love to be able to do in the future. And yet, when people
1: bring out a game or a sort of a newish way to explain the Holocaust, like the Anne Frank tweets or things that are Instagram, I forget what it was. It became so controversial, even, you know, ADL and some of these groups said, no, it's too soon. We can't gamify the Holocaust. So what, where do you fit with
0: that? So uh, I, I know that the it was a TikTok thing that was happening with kids. Uh, I think part of it is it wasn't informed, right? It was uh, it was a it was a a trend. It was a meme that happened, and uh, and there was a a TikTok event where they were reinvigorating it. So they were telling the narrative as if it was a person on TikTok. And I don't actually I don't actually think that those things have to be bad. They just have to be well done, right? I think. Uh, we can't get away from games. Games are bigger than the music industry now. Games are bigger than the movie industry now. People's main narrative experiences on a regular basis are happening through games.
1: I mean, even the Holocaust survivors who are still around are doing holograms. So you're yeah. right. It's, it's, you're fishing where the fish are. Exactly. To learn more about the Rosenstrasse game, including where you could order it, just go to the link in our show notes. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Goldie Barth in Guelph. And we'll end the episode with this story from survivor Irene Kurtz. She's 95, and she spoke at Toronto's Community Yom HaShoah Memorial Service on Monday at Holy Blossom Temple. Irene was 15 in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Her mother and sister had been deported. Then her father was taken too, and she was alone. Here she describes being recruited to join the young men and women partisans. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily.
2: I went into the apartment, and I met a few young boys and girls. And they were having a meeting. And she says to me, you know, now I see you, I can trust you. Would you like to join us? I said, I don't know anything about it. I don't know how to hold a gun, even my hand. I don't know how to shoot. She said, we're going to teach you. Are you willing? I said, let me think it over. She said, what do you think? I said, maybe yes. It was like, a, you know, something to do something because we knew we're going to all die anyways. That time we knew already what's happening. So, okay, we're going to have a meeting, and I never got to the meeting, because the Germans did find out about them. They were hiding in the basement, and they wouldn't, and they do resist, and they killed a couple Germans, Germans, and then they killed them all. I never saw her again, never i say maybe fifteen, twenty young people.